My guest today on Mission Impact is Peggy Hoffman. Peggy is the president of Mariner Management, an association management company, which is the home to two associations and provides an array of support and training to associations and most importantly, member volunteers. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as board, staff, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Peggy and I talk about why volunteers and chapters are the heart and soul associations, and yet somehow a somewhat neglected aspect of working in a membership organization. How the role of geographically based chapters is undergoing so much change, and what implications the rise of nonprofit professional development has for local chapters. Welcome, Peggy. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. So appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, it should be fun, a fun conversation. We've been in the same circles for a long time, and it, it, I'm really excited to dig into the work that you do in the space of associations. But I really like to start each podcast with what motivates you to do the work that you do? What's your why? What, how, what drew you to this particular aspect? Um, and we'll get to the, the this yeah. in a minute of the, of the work that you do with organizations. Okay, so I guess it... it I'm going to start by saying that um, once I stumbled into associations, one of the things that I gravitated towards was membership and um, specifically working with chapters. So I landed in a trade association that had these incredible uh, state groups or regional groups. And I began working with them and realizing that they were just, you know, they, ha they have so many challenges in front of them. Uh, so when we decided to start our own business, it was as a management company specifically to be a management service for chapters. So we didn't want any national organizations. We, we just wanted to work with chapters in our area. Uh, and that business just, it was amazing. I mean, it's, it, they don't have big budgets, but they have big hearts. So um, naturally, because of that, I've spent so much time working with volunteers because they were hiring me to be their staff, right? So the wonderful journey of trying to support these geographic components of larger organizations meant really getting hands-on with how volunteers um, operate and think. And I don't know, that's just pretty exciting to work with people who are giving time. So I guess my my why is if I can support somebody who's giving their time, that's kind of like a bonus. <laughs> yeah, so that volunteer piece and the chapter piece. The volunteer and the chapter, I feel like they're so at the heart and soul of so many organizations. And yet I feel like it's really kind of a neglected aspect of association management. And, you know, it's so critical for member engagement. It's so critical for people to be able to connect with people locally. First, maybe, you know, for listeners who are maybe less familiar, can you just kind of describe those two arenas, kind of how you how you define them? Yes, that's a great question, actually. And 
What I really love about that question is that we are in this tremendous mode of change. I know we've heard that, um, but so what's real interesting is there's so many structures within associations that are challenged and that challenge is leading some really cool innovation. And when you talk about the bucket of volunteer and you talk about the bucket of the bucket we call chapters or a component, it's the same thing. So what is a what is a component in the context of what we're talking about? We're talking about the component around geography because really components are a a way of uh, members connecting and it's usually around an issue an interest a discipline or a geography so we're really we're focused more on the geography question and so it's any entity that allows a subsection of members or key stakeholders within a uh, membership-based organization to collect. So that means some of these groups are completely independent, but carry the same or similar mission name. Sometimes it means it's an absolute integrated um, subsection. Um, there's there you know there's relationships where there's charters and there's relationships where there's affiliation agreements. So lots of different ways of of doing that legally, but at the core, it's meeting the same member who could be met nationally, could be met um, locally. And um, sometimes the membership is contingent and sometimes it's not, meaning I can be members of both or neither or, you know, or a combination. So the, the chapter is, is, is a moniker, if you will, that, may, that means that we're collecting a subsection of our members into that geography. The interesting thing is the traditional model, which was born in a time when um, we didn't have the internet, is the problem right now because we're we've, with this, you know with the legacy systems. And for many of these organizations, the key work of it is done by the volunteers. Now we know that about associations, but the chapter level, um, I think it was the recent benchmarking. It's you have to. Assume that less than half of the chapters out there have staff. So it is largely the will, the passion of volunteers. And a volunteer is any stakeholder in an organization, membership-based organization, that opts to give time freely. And I mean also free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think most people think of chapters as those regionally based entities. And yet, you know, you can also kind of slice and dice memberships often through, you know, an, an interest around a particular topic, whether it's whether the organization calls some special interest groups or communities of practice or, you know, cohorts. Uh, di there are different ways that people kind of describe that. And in each case there, you know, that volunteer component is just so important. So what's really interesting about um, the comment that you just made about this idea of the coagulating around issue, interest, discipline, or geography is that one of the changes that is slowly happening and needs to happen with more um, with more gusto is this idea of not siloing off the geographic components from the other ones. You see, pretty much the the communities of practice, the SIGs, those things have been sort of more baked in, and the chapters have oftentimes can be an arm's length. And what we begun to understand is that the models that are kind of percolate to the top for many associations, not all, are going to be um, the, the, the less structured geographic components, which means they're going to begin to act even more like the other components. So, yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. I did, you know, of course, the the pandemic and everything moving online, you know, just, just changed everything overnight. And I did an event for a 
regionally based association. So one that, you know, is the mid-Atlantic of, uh, of, of the thing, the mid-Atlantic uh, facilitators network. And, you know, they were doing a webinar. So of course that has no geography limits to it. And, and it was just a very pertinent topic right at the beginning of the pandemic of how to facilitate effectively online. And they had people from around the world and this was a local association. So in, in some ways um, it feels like some of those things maybe aren't as relevant as they used to be. And of course, you know, people are still gonna wanna be able to meet in person and the, those geography challenges, you know, we're, we're not gonna always do everything online. No, but, so it's kind of a both But the blurring of the geographic boundaries is huge. It's, 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 it's gonna be what's gonna be the catalyst to either kill a chapter or have a chapter thrive, but it's also the catalyst for more competition. And we know how nonprofits sometimes butt heads. And I think we're, we're, we're in a situation where that can happen. So the Savvy Association is gonna jump out in front of it right away. And and say, okay, how do we begin coordinating the services our programs or our, ch our chapters or components are offering in a way that, that creates congeniality? <laughs> right. So it's leveraging all of it for everybody versus feeling like you're in a state of competition. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we do know the uh, Delta variant aside um, and other elements aside, we do know that people are going to get back together again, which is um, which is actually you know delightful and, and going to be well received by by many folks. But we also think, and Carol, this is the interesting thing. We think that it's going to change the nature of getting together for chapters. In other words. Um, because I can get online education so much more readily. And in the case of the one you just talked about, I can be in an online thing that's pertinent to many of us, but get the perspective from, from a different different area, right? Um, then maybe the, um, the importance of the chapters is less about education and more about the other elements, whether it is um, how do we grapple with a very local issue or how do we do networking or how do we do career development or career pathway development or how do we, how do we really reach the students, right? So it could shift um, some of the priorities for our, our geographic components, which I, I I, it's not a bad thing at all, but we have to be sort of aware of it. Yeah, I know for me, thinking about going to in-person events, um, the bar is just way higher for what we're actually doing in person. Is the event actually designed to leverage the fact that we are in the same room together? And if it's not, I'm not going to travel two hours, you know, because even in a G even in a, you know, the D DC area, it's going to take me an hour there, be there, and then an hour back. It's half my day, you know, so the bar for me is just way And higher. so now think about that because the implication there, and I don't think you're alone, and I'm the, certainly the same way. Um, so there's at least two of us in this world, right? Um, but, but, <laughs> but, so here's the thing is think about how we are currently resourcing and training volunteers, because it's still largely volunteer. And even if it's not volunteer, if there's, a, if there's a skeleton kind of staff for a chapter, it's oftentimes an admin kind of person, right? So how are we resourcing and training them for that new reality. Um, we've been talking in some of the trainings I've been doing, because we do a fair amount of chapter leader training, chapter staff and chapter volunteer leader training. And we've been talking, well, at least I've been beating the, the, the drum for at least two years on, you've got to do something different at your events. You've got to create events that are an experience. You've got, you've got to stop thinking that I can just, you know, fill a room in, in, um, 
in class in classroom style and have somebody you know scream at scream at you or lecture you talk right. talk nicely to but you even, but even so, so. Even, well, not them, <laughs> I get, now you're absolutely right it becomes way more so am i leveraging i like the way you put that am i leveraging the fact that i'm in person on this event design yeah and and i think it's you know it's not just a matter of going back to the way it used to be because you know maybe that those networking events worked for a few people but they they actually never worked for a lot of, so how can we think about those things differently how can we help help people have conversations um you know have give them a little bit of structure i mean people have had you know learned how to do this in in the in the online space through zoom etc just a little bit just a prompt question to get people started can really be exactly, helpful exactly so it's good it's going to be really interesting I mean, it's, it, it's going to change it's going to change how we train how we resource it's going to also require in some ways a refreshed volunteer pool right and that that's such a critical thing because i think one of the biggest one big challenge i don't know if it's the biggest challenge you can tell me with any kind of volunteer-led organization or one that depends a lot on volunteers is that um oftentimes those kind of refreshing recruitment cultivation up some kind of pathway to leadership. Um, they, you know, most groups don't don't have it, don't know how to do it, and uh, and so then they wonder why you know the twenty percent are the are doing the eighty percent exactly. And it, that is one of the de- definitely one of the top um, challenges for these member components is getting the getting the volunteer workforce. That has been a problem. Of, that's been really growing in the last, um, I'd say five to almost 10 years. Uh, and and the, the, the challenge is now is that um, because we're in this murky area of what really is the value prop at the local level, it's harder to articulate the why it would be great for you to volunteer for this organization. So we've just kind of put things on top of each other. Now, all of this makes, of course, Carol, the sound like um, doom and gloom. The On the other side of things, uh, there is, there's real opportunity for local volunteers, local chapters, local members. And the COVID is one of, uh, coming out of COVID, one of the silver linings is we saw some of those in action. I mean, we saw, for example, um, in texas and this is not this is not an an exception by any means at all but in texas one of um agc's that's the general contractors um groups uh did this amazing pivot and went from this basically you know education workforce development to a uh source for ppe and set up and turned their office into a collection zone and and a and a and a incredible member value uh, point um then you have you have some folks um out in ohio for the dental hygienist and that group um basically got the most important um legislation or regulatory changes around the protection of of um of dental hygienist on the job and then another one of their chapters actually uh, was managed on facebook to get a vibrant post your the the temp job that you that you need filled and post that you're ready and they did this incredible in the moment kind of matchmaking for folks in the area so what we're what we're seeing is that being local it's like it's just like with the healthcare. It's just like with everything. Being local became the ability to um, answer the immediate need of a member. So the real question is: um, 
do we, is it time to take those checklists of you did this, 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 and this and throw it away and begin saying, what's the member need in the moment? Because I think I honestly, we saw it. And I think chapters can step up because they're driven by volunteers. That's the huge thing. That's the passion that allows them to pivot if they've been given the permission and some resources to do it. Yeah, there's often, I feel like there's often kind of a tension between a regionally based or a locally based um, chapter and the national organization. And, you know, maybe some of those checklists are, are part of it. Why would you say you often see that? Or at least I've certainly experienced it in the organizations I've worked in, um, that, that tension between the two. Well, you know, I think it's, it's real interesting. Um, how we just so in terms of the work that Mariner is doing, um, we are just we just began this next iteration of the chapter benchmarking study, and we started with two CEO roundtables, virtual roundtables, and we brought CEOs together to have a conversation around what is this thing about chapters and and you know we basically were asking the question you just asked. Now we did start by saying what are the orthodoxies around chapters that are just so embedded. What would you so say some of those the, are? The, and you know what? Chapters are the third rail. <laughs> Chapters <laughs> are a political minefield. Um, the, the problem is, is that you've got these groups and often, to, way too often, um, the leaders that you have sitting up here making decisions come from that group. And while they put the national or the global hat on, they never take off the chapter hat. So they um, they see they, they see through a lens that is a little bit clouded, a little bit myopic to a certain degree, right? Um, and so if you start to say something needs to change, well, my chapter was fine, or I, you know, you know, and and meanwhile, you're talking, you're having to convince volunteers to vote, members to vote on change, and they don't like to do that anyway. Um, in too in too many cases, so it's politically fraught, and so it's easier to kick the can down the road than it is to make a substantive change. But the other critical element is. These CEOs, bless them, could not, with one, maybe two exceptions, could not articulate the value of chapters because we have no data around what the chapters are bringing that we can put on our balance sheets, we can put in our operating budget. We have the expense side. Oh, yes, because we have a staff that's assigned to it. We might have a chapter leader conference. We might have a due sharing relationship. We might have a revenue sharing relationship around events or activities. Um, you know, but on the income side, we're not doing any good data collection and data analysis that shows us how is that contributing to the value proposition that generates um, those important um, dollar-driven pieces, membership acquisition, membership uh, retention, fundraising goals, all these things. So so most of the CEOs, um, they have this political problem and they have no data. And so what happens is you get this, the, the, you get all these people in the room, chapters are so important, I came up through it, I wouldn't have been a member, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so that that becomes the anecdote becomes the data and we all know <laughs> anecdote is not <laughs> data so um so that was a key the other orthodoxy is um which i thought was a sad kind of orthodoxy is well you know 
chapters are good and they're mostly bad and that's just the way it is and you live with and that to me is sad because that goes back to i don't know what the roi is and therefore and it's politically difficult so i'm just going to live with this and 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 the assumption is it can't get better see that's the other orthodoxy it's we gotta live with it it's bad we can't get better um, and one, several members of these two CEO roundtables said if they had their druthers, they would just ditch them. Um, and so with that kind of an ortho, with that kind of an, of a mindset, it's going to be competitive because you're not in the game together. You're surviving alongside. And even the most open-minded of the CEOs, and there were a number of open-minded CEOs, it, the effort of figuring out um, all of those really good, important answers, replies, didn't seem to, it, it seemed so insurmountable. Um, and so I'm just going to wait and, and hope that because I, because, because I see some good things, like one, uh, one, one um, group said, well, you know, when it comes right down to advocacy, um, you know, the states that have really, um, you know, rolled, rolled their sleeves up and, and, and talk with us on a regular basis, we're able to make some significant headways. So they so they do they do glean onto that. But the competition comes because we don't know and we're just kind of living living next to each other. The other thing is is that there's nothing worse. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing worse than um than having um your uh your leaders who have to make important decisions be your members because <laughs> they will whine the entire time. And so um, the members notoriously think they're not getting a good deal. And members who are volunteering for chapters have that double double down on that. And so they create their own negative um, language that, that, that pushes along this competition set. And yet you gave a couple, you know, examples about how um, that locality of those chapters, you know, they were able to just jump on needs uh, that were immediate that would have taken a national organization. There's so many layers of decision making and all of that. Um, they were able to just move really quickly, especially because in this case, I think that volunteer group it can either mean that you're moving incredibly slowly or yes, you can also move right. very quickly. And you know, the other um, interesting thing is we did, uh, so Mar Mariner and Bill Highway, um, Bill Highway being a software tech company that does, um, has a banking solution in this space. In any case, um, we've been doing a series of webinars, monthly webinars for chapters organizations. And I bring this up only because one of the things we keep doing is I, I say we look for the bright spots, um, but we're looking for where our system's working. And one of the, and what, and one of the pieces we did was um, the trickle up. And what we were talking about was we were going at it and we were finding where there were successful national programs that actually had been born and, and bred at the local level. So PMI's um, vet outreach program is a great example. Education Theater Group um, developed this. They had, a when the floods came through in, in Houston and the schools were decimated, um, their theater props and programs were decimated. Another group, another state, uh, state nearby um, did a match list. Do you have something extra? There's a school in there that needs it. That program is now a school to school um, support program that went national. So, and, and, and you look at the, what the landscapes are, Latin landscapers have done. So in other words, um, not only can they pivot quickly, but they can also be some pretty good R and D. Um, and, and, and by the way, you can do a, you can do an ROI 
on all of those scenarios, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you've been doing some research recently on uh, what you call the volunteer learning journey. Why, why would you say this is important for those who work with volunteers or are volunteers and trying to cultivate other volunteers? So um, one of the things that we have done, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to first point back to a couple of, of, of good resources. One is the Mutually Beneficial Volunteering Study done in 2017 with the ASAE Foundation in which we talked about the readiness of volunteers and that impact on associations. Then we've done um, now uh, two uh, chapter benchmarking study. I alluded earlier that the fact that we're on the third iteration now and we were we're, we did the CEOs and we're going to be going into the um, the actual survey piece just shortly. But um, in the two previous ones, uh, one of the issues that came up was volunteer readiness, right? And then we've also, over the last 10 years, uh, I have worked with thousands and thousands of chapters um, through chapter training programs and constantly we come back to volunteer readiness. And so um, one of the things that, and we did a series on um on uh, financial problems for chapters in which we have looked at fraud, security risks, those kinds of things. And what's the, what's the, what's the bottom line behind that? The preparedness or readiness of volunteers. So you kind of see this theme that, a, that if the volunteer is the key workforce for the chapter programs and we're not properly uh, uh, preparing them, what's the issue? You know, how do we resolve that, right? And so part of what- And how would you, de how would you define volunteer readiness? So I would define volunteer readiness excuse me, I would define a volunteer readiness based on their ability to successfully complete the job at hand. So if I'm going to be treasurer of a chapter organization, not only can I, do, do I know how, do I, do I know, do I know how the organization is financially set up? Can I read a PL? Can I make good decisions? Can I make good financial decisions based on a risk analysis, right? Because, I mean, I can spend this money and I've got these reserves and I could spend it over here. You know, there's just, how do I invest this dollars? And and how do I, and for example, let's take a look at the pandemic because the one group that, that we managed, I mean, the first thing we did was the treasurer and I sat down and we pulled up and we did what's plan B. How do we, what's our scenario planning for this year? Because we don't know how it's going to unfold. So scenario planning. So as a treasurer, when I, the first day I'm in that job, do I have that set of skills and that ability? And if I don't have the exact set of skills, do I at least know I don't have them and can seek, can ask the questions? Because you're not going to know everything you need for every particular job. That's okay, right? But do I know? <laughs> do I know? So, so readiness is about my ability to to do that job, and and not even stellar. I just I just call it success. Like if my goal is this, and I'm a volunteer, can I get us to this? Would it be great to get here? Fine, but I'm readiness is can I you know can, can I can I get to where we have to get, not where we necessarily want to get? When we started figuring out why are volunteers not ready, or why do we get volunteers? You know you know the whole the whole thing. We need a president and nobody's hand raises and someone sneezes. Oh, good, Peggy, you're going to be president. So now you're president, but you're not ready, right? <laughs> but but there's no other choice, right? So we kept looking at, so all of these associations are offering varying levels, but but it's hard to get volunteers to, to really buy into that support. And that's when I um, saw something that Christine Metter um, with Crystal Lake Partners had, um, had done in which she had talked about um, learning journeys for, um, you know, getting beyond basically the concept of the, of the journey map 
which by the way, you've done some fabulous work on taking that, that I think, and applying it to the learner. Is there a learner journey? And I'm looking at this going, is there a volunteer learner journey? So she and I got together, we pulled together um, a brain trust of folks, looked at how they were doing it, looked at um, what we understood about volunteer readiness um, and realized that the missing piece, as we looked at this, the missing piece is tying that training to the volunteer motivation. And that's of course what learning journeys do, right? They they say, what, where is it you wanna go? What's your motivation for getting there? What, what, you know, and so tie it. So that's really where it came out of. It was trying to find how do we, how do we take these two issues? You know, where's the, where's the puzzle piece that puts them together? And one thing that I appreciate, and we'll, we'll link to the, the resource that you're talking about, because it's really a wonderful piece on, on working with volunteers. And this could, you know, this, there's so many applications to this. You did this within an association context, but I was looking at it and I happened to be on the leadership development committee of my congregation, right? And so we're thinking about volunteer cultivation and how do we, you know, give people some baby steps and not say, oh, you're a new member, let's get you on the board. No, we don't want to be in that position. Um, And how do we help people take those steps? So I really liked how you kind of broke it down with, you know, maybe that first step and I can't remember exactly what the categories were but you know then then when they're they need these couple competencies and or this interest and um you know so that's going to match to more of a kind of a micro volunteering or an ad hoc kind of role and and I think that that is I think a hard thing where folks are so organizations are so used to these big roles that people have traditionally had and how do you break it into smaller chunks that are more manageable in in people's lives today where I don't know for you know a million reasons folks just don't have the bandwidth that they that um, was available I don't know 15 20 years ago when people were able to step into a board role for three and four years and so there was like a that. lot of stability in people's lives um, you know obviously you know in comparison a lot of stability you know you were in jobs and there's a lot of middle management opportunities there and so you were in jobs and you're pretty steady and um, you didn't you weren't looking to change jobs unless something really happened and um, the the employers, uh, they you know they they sort of gave you a little bit more leeway in a lot of things. So volunteering, and not only that, but there was generational you know things. So the boss had volunteered and been on the board, so it's natural that you're going to do that, right? Uh, and a lot of that, a lot of those things change, which is why there is the bandwidth issue. But I think the other thing that we completely underestimate is everything we know about volunteers, particularly what when we start looking at volunteers over the last ten years. Okay, everything we know is that there is this critical importance of connecting with the what's in it for me, and I don't mean that in a negative what's in it for me, but it got to go to my motivation. And that my motivation is going to be tied to something I can see, an outcome. And so much of our volunteering does not have a demonstrative outcome, and it does not plug directly with the motivation. So we can't get people to be on the board because what it looks like is sitting in meetings and it's just keeping the organization going. Well, I don't want to just keep the organization going. I want to do something. So. All of a sudden, if 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 we can start making even that board position um, look, demonstrate how it has an outcome, we're going to get folks to do that. 
the reality is, is that busy people always have time, uh, but they have time for the things that, that match their motivation. Um, one of the things I story I tell uh, real quickly, uh, Carol, is I, we were looking for a treasure at the local level. It's a Maryland-based chapter, and we were looking for a treasure. And we were having a difficult time. That's not an easy position to fill because there are, you know, that's one of the board position that actually has some key competencies, right? So there was an individual who I who I knew could do this and would do a good job, and uh, I was talking with this individual and they didn't want any more board positions and blah, 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 blah. And then he, he just happened to say to me, um, so how come we didn't give out a student scholarship this year? Because we always gave out student scholarships. And I said, well, we didn't give out a student scholarship um, because, and I, and I went through the whole thing and I, it was basically a financial decision, right? And I said, you know, we there, and we fell down here and here. And, and I just said, very frankly, the right treasurer would get this going and we could rebuild that account and we'd have, be giving out student scholarships. And so the next, I think it was the next day, get an email from him and says, okay, so when does the treasurer position begin? Why? Because now he saw a reason. He was, and he did. He did. We got the student scholarship program back up and running. Well, yeah, and and to help people think through, especially in a in a professional context, you know, what are some things that they're going to be able to learn through volunteering that they don't have the opportunity to do in their day to day job? So, you know, thinking again, I, I mentioned my congregation and. Um, when I first joined, people asked me to do lots of different things that I didn't want to do. So I was, I felt like I was like, no, 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 no. So I was like, okay, I got to figure out what I'm, what I want to say yes to. And they, um, they were doing their first strategic plan and I was like, Ooh, I want to do that. And of course that's actually what I do now. Right. This was, you know, 20 years ago. And so in my day job, I had no opportunity to be involved in the strategy of the organization. But in this volunteer role, I was going to be able to be a leader and develop, you know, explore that and develop all sorts of skills um, that I just wouldn't have the opportunity in my day to day. So helping people, whether it's skills or, you know, networking is just such a big amorphous kind of concept. But, you know, how is this going to help you build and get connected with people who can help you, sponsor you, mentor you, uh, help you solve problems? Um, but yeah, to, to take what are kind of these big jobs or even smaller ones and help people think, well, what are the components that that you know, that I can connect to that's going to move me forward you know, from that professional point of view, or, you know, I just moved here and I don't have any friends and I want to make some friends and let me do that, you know, through, through volunteering. You know what, so. it's just like the fundraising when, uh, when you first get called to give, let's say to, um, in my case, my NPR station is WAMU, um, W-A-M-U, and um, the first gift that you're asked is, is 25 bucks or five bucks or whatever. And then they and they ramp you up and pretty soon you're an annual giver of a substantive chunk of money. Um, and I keep telling chapters and national organizations that um, you, you, you gotta do the fundraising model and, and micro jobs get you into it. Um, you know, you had mentioned you had referred to that the pathway in which we talk about the emerging volunteer, the learning volunteer, and then you get into to leadership. And one of the things that we saw in the mutually beneficial volunteering um, uh, study, which actually reflected the results from the earlier volunteer study way back in 2008 uh, that ASAE did, which is one of the one of the top five reasons for not saying yes is not seeing a picture, not seeing the pathway. And so mm. part of that work came out of this idea of let's paint the picture that and demonstrate a, a pathway. And there's some really exciting things because if you take that pathway, 
Um, you see, for example, RAPS, which is the regulatory professionals, they've done this and they're not alone. There's other groups that have done this. I believe PMI is amongst them. But you take that pathway and then you start doing digital badging based on that, right? And now you're actually, you're actually connecting people to the, you know, to a recognition that they can carry with them really from a CV perspective, right? But then you take someone like um, NIGP, they're building out a, um, uh, as, as part of their learning management system and they're making some changes right now, but they're building out um, uh, levels of training for volunteers. Uh, RAPS is doing something sim similar. So you, and, and I talked to one of the rotation who was looking, who just was looking at that model and saying, wow, you mean we could do like mini, cer mini certificates, right? Um, as I get through this level. So all of a sudden you see what that, that pathway does is it, it professionalizes the volunteering in our associations and nonprofits. And by professionalizing it, that boosts the motivation to get the learning and the education that you need to be successful in the job. So we're all, we're, we're, we're coming at this from all these different directions. Yeah, for sure. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. Um, so on each episode, I like to play a game where I ask um, one a random icebreaker question. Um, and since I, I think I've known you long enough that I can ask this question. So who are the three people you would want on your team if there was a zombie apocalypse? Ooh, okay. Um, oh, man. Uh, Mark Shropshire, who no one knows except that uh, he is my personal trainer. Um, and uh, <laughs> I mean strong um and 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 not you know uh sufficiently unempathetic that he could destroy anything in the way so that's good um <laughs> um so definitely definitely i'm gonna go with a, a maybe a strange um a strange one um and um uh I, I'm, I'm gonna actually go with uh association professional i know um Lindsay Curry, and, and you might say, well, why, why would you pick her? I have never seen anybody able to get around a topic um, with such dexterity and in a way to come up with the question. And I have to have a feeling if they were, if it was a zombie, she have a way to get them to go. Now, what, what are you asking us? <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to go with her. And, um, and I need a really strong, another strong. No, you know what? You know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna also go with um, go with my husband. Um, and you might say why? And because if something happens, I, I think I would just assume um, that it happened to both of us. But I would throw him out there first, just to be on to be on the real side. But having having somebody close to you that knows you, that knows your vulnerabilities and your strengths. And in that moment can say, can call on your strength so that you can get past your vulnerability. I think that would be priceless. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what are you excited about? What's coming up for you? What's what's emerging in your work so, these days? Oh my gosh, there's, there is actually a lot of really exciting work. Um, I'm going to mention three very quick things. Um, one is the chapter benchmarking study because we have brought the CEO voice in and so we're going to do the CEO voice. We're going to do the traditional CRP. That's the component relations professional. That's the association staff position. And 
um, you can opt in to have us then go to your chapter leaders. So it's a it's a it's a it's a, uh, a three sixty, if you will, approach to a conversation around chapters, chapter values, chapter optimization. So we're real excited about that. We just launched the ASAE Foundation um, research, which is we are going to with an incredibly um, robust uh, brain trust of, C of association CEOs. We're going to design the um, the set of models that will work for associations for volunteerism. So in other words, we're asking the question, what is effective and what model brings that effective for what kind of organization? So there's not going to be one model. So so those are two kind of research projects, but, but listen to those. Those are like innovation, right? They're changing. Um, the other thing I want to mention is I'm just getting started with CAMP program. CAMP is the, um, the California uh, Marriage and Family Therapist. We're doing a chapter coaching pro program, which I think is going to be really cool. I get a chance to work one-on-one, one-on-one with chapters. So those were the those are the three exciting things. Um, but I, I want to I, I guess I want to mention that um, you know there's a balance in life, and so the other um, exciting thing that the other journey I'm on. Um, is I started in January learning Tai Chi. And when you put yourself in a place to learn something new and you can screw up without anybody, like, you know, you don't feel bad about it. You know, it's just, you're in this learning space and it's really a really wonderful mind um, body centering thing, but also all of the elements about this, there's, um, there's, you know, one of the elements is constantly keeping your knees bent and being grounded so that, you know, you can move in any direction, right? Um, and giving in, yielding, and yet being uh, being strong enough. Anyway, enough of that. But that's that's that that'll help yes. you with the zombies too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Peggy, it was great having you on. Thank you so much. And we will definitely link to those resources that you mentioned. And then uh, you know, let us know when the newest benchmarking study comes out, and we can include it for folks. So um, definitely appreciate uh, all you great. all you have. Well, to thank offer. you for your time today. This was fun conversation. It's always good catching up with you, and it was uh, it was fun today too. I appreciated the perspective Peggy brought on the volunteer learning journey. Whether your organization has chapters or has volunteers in other programmatic aspects of your work, thinking through their learning journey could be really useful. We will link to the resource that Peggy's group has created about this, and it provides a really useful framework for thinking about how to cultivate and develop volunteers and how to have them move from volunteers to leaders within your organization. From a new volunteer that's just getting familiar with your organization and the work that you, that you do, what are those skills that they and competencies that they need? They need to work, learn about your organization, but they also need to learn what your expectations are for them and how you want them to do the work. How will your orientation and training program help them develop those skills? And how might you be able to break down what used to be a very large role into some smaller, more doable parts. Is it clear for someone wanting to get involved what the steps are? Whom they should reach out to? And what support can you provide your volunteers as they become more engaged and encourage them to step into new and larger roles within your organization? Have you built a ladder for people to climb or a pathway for them? The clearer you are, able to make that path, the more likely people will say yes when you invite them into volunteering. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find how to connect with Peggy as well as the links uh, to the resources that she mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. And I'd like to thank Nora Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Kester of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Please take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps other people find the podcast, and we do appreciate it. Thank you so much, and until next time.